There we go, Scott. Yep. Had the red light on and not the green light. It's January 1st. What can we say? My name is J.D. I'm one of the pastors of the church, and I'm thankful that you have gathered with us uh, this morning, the first day of the year of our Lord, 2023. Man, hard to believe it's 2023 already. Uh, How many of you, uh, by a show of hands, use this time of the year to reflect on where you have been and then look forward to where you want to go? How many of you like, just a reflection, where I have been and where I want to go? All right. How many of you make uh, have made resolutions for 2023? How many of you just don't care? All right, that's a lot of us. All right. Well, I think resolutions can be good. I think reflections can be helpful for us. And uh, I think Jonathan Edwards, pastor theologian Jonathan Edwards, would agree with me. Between the fall of 1722. In the summer of 1723, Jonathan Edwards began to write extensively. So Jonathan Edwards was really vital in the Great Awakening in the 1700s here in the in the U.S. And his writing helped him to shape his thoughts and trajectory for his for his own life. Uh, by the time Edwards had reached August of 1723, he had written out what we now refer to as the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards. Edwards wrote out 70 resolutions. How many of you have 70 resolutions for 2023? No. How many of you have one? Yeah, maybe, maybe, right? Um, They would help God and shape his life with a purpose and a zeal specifically for God's glory. So here is what Edwards said about the resolutions. He said, being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. He read the 70 resolutions once a week for the next 30 plus years of his ministry to remind himself of what he had resolved to live in light of who Christ was and is in his life. I encourage you, if you have the time to read them, to let them be a help for you as you also seek to accomplish the will of God in this life. I mentioned these resolutions because there are two of them that stood out to me as I, I think of my own life and as I think about even the life of the church. His resolution called resolution number six says this. Resolved, each one start with, started with the word resolved. Resolved to live with all my might while I do live. It's a good resolution, right? I mean, basically it means to live life to the fullest while I live. To live life to the fullest. His next resolution, or resolution number 17, it stood out to me as resolution 17, which says this, Resolve that I will live, so I shall wish I had done when I come to die. So basically, he's saying, I want to live with no regrets. That when I stand before the Lord, then it was time for me on my deathbed to die, that I don't look back on my life and said, I wish I had done this, and I wish I had done that. So he wanted to live life to the fullest and to have no regrets. Now, you can't read number six, resolution number six, and resolution number 17 without reading resolution number four, which states this. 
resolved never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God. So not to just live my life to the fullest, to, to go out and do, you know, you only live once type of mentality. No, it's actually to go out and live life to the fullest for what? The glory of God. To come to the end of his life and to say, hey, man, I've looked back on my life and I've achieved everything that I knew to the will of the Father for the sake of Christ to do all that I could to accomplish the glory of God. That's important for us. His goal was not to resolve himself to become great in the eyes of others, not to have more money, not to have more power, not to resolve to have more stuff. His resolve was to do great things for the kingdom of God. A resolve that we should also have. So he, lived life, he resolved to live life to the fullest with no regrets, but also seeking to bring glory to God. It's a worthy endeavor for any of us, but I, how do we do that? So this morning, we're going to look at the life of Paul. We're going to look at the life of Paul to, to see how we can, number one, to live a life full, and one that we can look back on and have no regrets. I think Paul would say he lived a life that was full, given to the glory of God, and certainly with no regrets. So turn with me to Acts 20, 17 through 38. Acts 20, 17 through 38. If you don't have a Bible of your own, up underneath the seat in front of you or under you, grab those, follow along with me. We'll be referring to the passages in here uh, often, and so they are helpful for us uh, to, to look back on and to read and to, to be guided by. So verse 17 in chapter 20 says this, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. When they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. <clears throat> but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, <clears throat> which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. <clears throat> Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. 
you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said is more blessed to give than to receive. We had said these things. He knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, this is your word. It's your word to give and to encourage us, to guide us, to shape us, to give correction and rebuke. So Lord, I just pray that it would have its full effect this morning. I pray that we would see the words in this parts of the scripture as ways that we can resolve to live lives Lord, of holiness and of bringing you glory above anything else that we desire to do for this year and the years to come. That we would seek to humble ourselves, to set ourselves apart from the rest of this world, to live lives worthy and honorable of you and who you are in Christ Jesus, and, and, and who we are in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would resolve in our hearts, Lord, to know you, to know Jesus, to know the full counsel of your will, full counsel of the word of the gospel has been set forth. Lord, we would endeavor to testify to your name, the grace of God in our own lives, how you have changed us, how you have transformed us, that through your humble beginnings, your perfect birth, your perfect life, your, your sacrificial and atoning death. Lord, that we can become to your throne of grace, Lord. Asking that you would help us, that you would, we would seek to glorify and honor you in all we say and do. In Jesus' name we humbly pray. Amen. The main takeaway this morning is this. Serve the Lord humbly, faithfully, and boldly as you testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Serve the Lord humbly, faithfully, and boldly as you testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we do this? How, how, do, we, how do we value uh, uh, the Lord humbly? How do we faithfully come? How do we boldly testify? By, we must value the things that are important in our spiritual journey as well as what builds up the church. That's what we'll see in our our text today, that what was important is building up of the church. And this is not building up the church in numbers. This is not that we want to grow in number. We, we certainly aspire to grow in number. But that's not our, our main goal, to, to grow in number. But it's actually to grow in godliness, to grow up in the most holy faith, to grow up in, in, in holiness of who we are in Christ. I think that's the way the Bible describes that we would grow up, that we would mature in stature and Wisdom, as Jesus did. And so I want us to look this morning to think about this, these things of serving the Lord humbly and faithfully and boldly through the lens of our ethos. Now, maybe you've never heard us talk about our ethos. And there's, a, there's kind of a reason for that. The ethos has always been what's guided the elders of the church. 
what's guided the elders of the church. Many of you know what our mission is. We mention it every Sunday. If you've been here for any length of time, if you're a member of our church, you know what our mission is. What is our mission? You can cheat. Know Jesus and make him known. We try to keep it simple. We even put cheat sheets up for you. But one of the things that we probably haven't talked about before the congregation before is because it's been a thing that the elders have focused on in the way that we've driven our church, the way we've got our church, not just our church, but we are part of a larger project of churches. And this project is to plant churches around military installations worldwide. It's called the Praetorian Project. So we are part of a larger project of pillar churches all around the world that are planting around military installations. And this ethos, this 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 um, uh, uh, characteristics of our culture or community that are made uh, known through our beliefs and our aspirations, whether that's church planting, whether that's uh, missions, or whether that's um, uh, just community groups and the way that we function and what we do and where we put our money towards is our, is our ethos, or things that we value. They are the undergirding characteristics of who we are. And so from its inception, from the very first pillar church that constituted in 2008, there are six values that we have held to. And those six are here. You've never seen them, probably, outside of seeing them on this board, so you probably have no idea what they may mean. But this is the ethos from which all the elders and pastors of Pillar Church function. We function through bold faith. We function through multiplication over growth. We, we function over people, over projects. We function with a visible plurality. That means a, a multiple plurality of elders that lead and guide and shepherd the church. Uh, we act with consensus and deference. If you don't know what that means, I'll explain it to you a little bit here in just a minute. And then the last one is that we would have congregational trust. And so what we want to do is we want to pass on the value of what's, what's guided our elders to also be the ethos and the values that you, that help you to live as a congregation and as a church that embodies these things. That you would live with bold faith, with, with um, caring about multiplication over just the numbers of people that are in our church. And all these other subsequent values that we're going to look at. So let's look at our first value. Our first value is that of bold faith. All throughout, the time that we've, since the first church up in, uh, outside the gates of Quantico, Virginia, in Pillar Church of Dumfries, we have valued making decisions that are kind of unwise in the eyes of the world. I just want to tell you, the reason that there are, that we have sought to plant churches around military installations worldwide is kind of a, a wild idea and a wild concept that didn't come just to the leaders of the church at that time. But it came because of the Spirit working, because of, because of faithfulness to, to see ourselves grow in a way that we, would, that we would boldly put out there what it is that we felt like God was leading us to do. And we've always acted that way. We've always acted with bold faith. Why? Well, we see it in Scripture. Over and over and over again in Paul's life through the book of Acts, and also as you read that, what he writes the epistles, there was a bravado about him. There was a boldness about him not to shrink back. Look at what it says here in verse 17. We'll start in 17. He comes down to Miletus. He sends to the church in Ephesus. So if you look at uh, Acts chapter 19 and 20, uh, he, he spends 
three years in Ephesus with these elders building up the church there, wanting and desiring them to, to build the church and to multiply themselves. And he says, you yourselves know, verse 18, how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. But look, I did not shrink back. I did not just rest on my laurels. I did, I, I did not shrink back from declaring to you the truth, what was profitable teaching in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I never shrunk back from that. Look at verse 24. I, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. If you, want a, if you want a New Year's resolution, there's one right there. That I would not account my life of any value. That I would go and do what is bold for the Lord. That I would go and do what is bold. To step out in faith and to go and to testify to the, to the gospel of grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That I would not shrink back from telling my neighbor the good news of the gospel of Christ. To not tell my co-worker the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And that is what we desire to do here, that we would, uh, uh, that we would live with a bold faith that, that, you would, you would, uh, that the elders, as we live this way, that you would desire and want to see the church built up with a bold faith. We want to be intentional not to fall into a mentality that is that of protection, right? If we do, we'll, we'll fail. And we would not just kind of fall into this easiness of just, we're going we're gonna to stick to our to our holy huddle, and we're going to just protect what we have. Because it won't work. It won't work. No, we got to continue to testify to the gospel. we got to continue to, to, to testify this day that we are innocent of the blood of all. And I did not shrink back, verse 27, from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Do not shrink back. As a congregation, as, a, as you're a member of this church, and if you're a guest here, I encourage you in 2023 to not shrink back from testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. That's what it means to walk, to walk with a bold faith. And if you need to, I encourage you to go back and listen to, to Brian O'Day's sermon on Hebrews 11, where he preached on the heroes of the faith. They don't live with a faith that is, that is, just, that is just inward. They live with a focus on glorifying and honoring God with their faithfulness. There's an audacity, there's a boldness to the way that, that they do that. And there's something that is encouraging to us in how we then shall live in light of, in light of all these who have been heroes in the faith, including Paul. And so we live as a church with bold faith. Some of the things that we desire to do, some things that we have done over the last 10 years, we're celebrating 10 years this week, guys. 10 years, January the 6th. All the things that we've accomplished, all the things that we've done, all the church planting that we have done, all the people that we have had members here and sent out. I know it's hard to see in here right now. There's probably about 110, 20 people gathered in this sanctuary. But we have had as many in this church of members of about, probably looking at about five or 600 members to come through this church in the last 10 years. That's a transient church. There's a lot of people flowing through this church that you'll never meet, that you'll never get to see that we're members of this body in this church. We have always sought to live boldly and by faith in Christ, 
doing things outside that are not comfortable always, that are not, not what we desire always to do in kind of inward thinking, but be outward focused, a boldness in our faithfulness, and a boldness in audacity in how we live. And I think we can look at Paul's life and say, yes, I want to see that. I want to do that. I want to live life to the fullest by living a faith that is bold. The second thing we see is in our values is multiplication of our growth. Do we want our church to grow? Certainly. Certainly. But we also want our, uh, we also seek to obey the Great Commission given by Jesus. Now, many of you know the Great Commission. Matthew 18, 28 says, Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Well, the only entity in the world that can accomplish this goal of baptizing, of making disciples and teaching, what entity can, what, what is one entity that can accomplish that? The church. It is the church. It's not individual Christians. It is the church universal and the church local that accomplishes this commission for Christ. So as he's ministering to his disciples, as he's been resurrected, and as he gives them his last commission, his last thoughts before he ascends, he says, go and make disciples, baptizing, teaching, and observing. And the way that we know that it was the church that would be the entity is because after that happens, what happens in the book of Acts? The disciples, the apostles, what do they go and do? They go and they start churches. They take these people who are saved through Christ Jesus, through the Holy Spirit working at Pentecost, and what do they do? They start putting them into local churches. And what do those local churches begin to do? They begin to what? Multiply. How do you and I, in the United States of America, how in the world are we gathering as a church today when the church was started over in Asia? How is it? Because the gospel multiplies. The church multiplied. It didn't just stay, it didn't stay static. It didn't just worry about growth. It worried about multiplying themselves of making disciples and growing them. Look at Acts chapter 19. We don't really see it here in Acts chapter 20. But Acts chapter 19, we do uh, see that the word of the Lord continued in verse 19, verse 20. The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And then you work, look back at chapter, 10, uh, chapter 19, verse 10. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Well, how did they hear? If the church was just staying in and of itself and just kind of huddled in and of itself, would the rest of the world heard, the rest of Asia heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ? The answer is no, because they concentrated on multiplication over growth. So we, we desire to be missional. We desire to, to know Jesus, but also to, to make him known through church planting, through our evangelistic efforts. See, we allocate most of our resources, not in buildings, not in projects, as we'll see here in a second. But we allocate a lot of our funds towards missions towards church planting, to places that we may never see, to places that you will never go for the sake of the glory of God amongst the nations. Jesus didn't say, hey, go and make disciples of all Asia. What did he say? 
Go and make disciples of all nations. Every tribe, every nation of tongue, Revelation tells us that they will be gathered around the throne. It's a beautiful picture of God's grace, and we want to be a part of that. We want to be a part of multiplying ourselves. How many of you were here in November of 2020? Raise your hand. All right, there's 10 of us that were here in November of 2020. What did we do in November of 2020? Anybody remember? We planted a church. We planted a church in Stone Bay, right? Down in Topsail, Pillow Church of Topsail. Why in the world would we send 10 families, 10 members of our church, or, or 15 different members of our church, out of this church to go and plant a church down in Topsail? Because there was a need for the gospel, for healthy churches down in Topsail. We knew that there was, we had a contingency that was coming from there already, driving 30, 35 minutes to come here when we can go and plant a church there. And we have seen much fruit from that church plant. There's been salvations, there's been baptisms, there's been people coming to faith in Christ through that church over and over again. And this morning, they're going to be gathering around 75 to 100 people in the course of two years. Praise God. Multiplying over growth. We would love to have them in our holy huddle, right? We would have more chairs filled up. It would feel more full. Singing would sound even better than it already does. No, we value multiplication. We value multiplying ourselves more than we value the building up of, of our holy kingdom here at Pillow Jacks. And what are we doing this Easter? Anybody know what we're doing this Easter, 2023? Planting a new church. We're sending out more of our members to go to Cherry Point and Havelock. We're sending out two more of our elders, which is what we did in, uh, in November of 2020. And we're going to go and plant a church outside of Cherry Point. And God's already organized it. He's already worked it out for us. He's already given us a building. He's already given us a core team. He's given us pastors, elders who have already moved to that area. Praise God that we can... That God's already orchestrated. We don't, have to, we don't have to make it up. God's already doing it. Multiplication over growth. If we just resolve in our hearts to seek to see the glory of God multiplied throughout not just the nations, but throughout Jerusalem and our Judea and our Samaria and to the ends of the world, if you need reference, Acts 1.8, to do that is multiplication. It's not addition. Multiplication over addition, always. I hope you will pick up that, that, that mentality, that value for 2023. People over projects. People over projects. There was a relationship here that Paul had with the elders in the church of Ephesus. There's no doubt. Look at what he says here. He says, pay careful attention, verse 28, if you need reference, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves. And to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. The flock is the church. That's what it means when it says flock. That is the church. And from among your own selves will arise men, speaking twisted things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Do you think that Paul cared for the flock? 
Do you think that he had a care for the people of the church? Absolutely did. Nowhere do you see Paul caring about projects. Nowhere do you see projects being done in the New Testament church. It is always about the gospel and the kingdom of God to a people. And so the elders, they give of their time and their effort and their energy and their talents and their treasures towards valuing people. We don't spend much time on projects. Matter of fact, we spend hardly any of our time on projects. But we spend a whole lot of time investing in people, investing in you. I hope you see that. I hope you know that we care for you, that we love you, that we want nothing more than to invest in your lives. And so many times people will come to us and say, hey, I want to get involved here at Pillar Church of Jacksonville. How do I do that? How can I get involved? I don't see, I don't see a whole lot of projects going on. What can I do to get involved with the church? We can serve in ministry down in the nursery. That is number one priority. If you look around, we've got lots of uh, if you don't know, Onslow County is the number one county in the U.S. Uh, number one, I'm sorry. The youngest county in the U.S. Our average age for Onslow County, the county that we are now residing in, is like 23 years of age. So a lot of our church reflects that audience. Praise God. So we need help in the nursery. Like, it's, it's a need, right? So if you want to help there, you can help there. We have an AV team. We have music. You get to the music. But the number one thing I would tell you to get involved is... God gave us, he said, well, the disciples asked him, what is the greatest commandment? What does he say? Love God and do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Do that. And then do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the first thing I would tell you to do as a ministry for Pillar Church of Jacksonville is to open up your home to your neighbor. Start ministering to your neighbors. Start going and testifying. Three times he used the word testify here, Paul does. Testify of the gospel of Jesus Christ to your neighbors, to your friends, to your co-workers. That is the most valuable thing that you can do for the church. That is the most valuable thing that you can do for the kingdom and the glory of God while you're here in Onslow County, in Jacksonville. Now you may say, Pastor, I'm only here for about six months to a year left. I don't have much time. Therefore, I don't really want to invest in my neighbor because it won't be advantageous for me. I just want to tell you, look at what Paul accomplished in three years. Most of you will be here three years, max. And we'll have you for about 18 months, most of you. Look at what Paul accomplished in three years in Ephesus. Preaching is that the gospel went forth to all of Asia in three years. Imagine what it can do in Onslow County. Imagine what it can do in Camp Lejeune and Geiger and Johnson and all those, Stone Bay. God, it rests on you. People over projects. Invest in people. That is what we strive to do as elders. That is what I would love for you to strive towards as a congregation. Invest in people. Number four. A visible, visible plurality. We function with a plurality of elders. Not only that, we function with a co-equal plurality of elders. Who does Paul call when he's in Miletus, which is about 20 miles south of Ephesus? Who does he call 
to come to meet him? Does he call the whole church? Or does he call the elders? He calls a visible plurality of elders to come and to minister and to be with. So much so you can feel the affection. Look at, look at verse 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, being sorrowful most of all the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. Do you think there was a care amongst the elders and Paul? There was a care because there was a visible plurality of elders. In the church right now, there are five elders. Who leads the church? All five elders. Not the staff elder, not the lay elders. All five elders lead this church. They are a visible plurality. All five of the elders preach on any given Sunday. We want to be seen. We want to be known. And we don't stand back away from the congregation saying, no, 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 we are, we are here and you are there. I stand on the platform to preach only because you can see me. Not because I am more than or higher than any other person in this church, any other member of this church. But we do want to honor and recognize what the Scriptures say about about appointing elders in every town and in every church. We want to have a visible plurality. We want to be known. We want to understand that this is not common in most churches. Having a visible plurality of elders who lead the church as co-equals. But there's not a one person who leads everything and everybody else falls under his authority. That's not how we do things here. Matter of fact, congregation has final authority in almost anything. And it's healthy and it's good. We lead, we shepherd, we guide, and we love. We do not domineer over the flock. So if you're new here, there's, there's not a domineering that happens from the elders to the, to the, to the members. 1 Peter 5 says, Shepherd the flock among you, not domineering or showing compulsion over them. And we want to honor that. So all of our elders meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and 1 Peter 5. So we want to be visible. We want to be seen. We want to be, we want to, like the, the, the elders here with Paul, we want, you to, we want you to miss us when you're gone. We want you to look back at your time at Pillar Jacks as favorable. As, man, I learned something. I know they loved me. I know they cared for me. I know they prayed for me. I know they sought my best. They sought the best thing for me in this life. And I pray that as you, as you depart this place and go on to the next, which many of you will do, you can say that. And you can say, I felt loved there. I felt cared for there. I felt like I grew there in the Holy Word, in the faith. So we want to have a visible plurality that helps you to, to do that. The fifth thing is this, consensus and deference. The first pillar church was started in 2008. I had the privilege of being a part of that church. And our first elder meeting, I remember this elder meeting. I remember sitting around the room with us, with us four elders at the time, and we made a decision at that moment in time that we would, every decision that we made, 
would be a unanimous decision. It would be a decision that if none of us, if, if one of us on the, in the elder room said, no, we are not, I, I'd feel very strongly conviction not to move forward with that idea. Even if the other three were strongly convicted towards it, we would not move forward with it. That is what it means to be have a consensus. That we would make decisions with the uh, others in mind. Humbly. Look at, look at, look at um, verse 18. Paul says this, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with what? All humility. This is considering others more important than yourself. This is laying aside your own selfish desires to see the unity of the church being the primary and priority over anything else. That the gospel, that that unity that comes from the gospel would be primary. And so as we make decisions in the elder room, as we make decisions as a congregation, our church over the last 10 years, by God's grace, has been unified in almost every decision that we've made. And most of that has been a reflection of, of the agreement that happens in the elder room when we make difficult decisions in that room. And those decisions are made humbly, sometimes with tears, sometimes through trials, sometimes through really long meetings that last way into the night because we can't, we're, we're trying to make a decision that's impactful and helpful to the church. And we need to spend time making sure that we make the right decision. So we will, there will be times where we uh, that we will have consensus, but there's times we will have deference where we will say, you know what? I understand that my priority in this, that my uh, the what, what I desire is not most important. What the team desires, what the group, the uh, the plurality of elders, that visible plurality, what they decide to do. And so we come humbly. We serve the Lord with humility. And I, I pray that you all would do that as well, that you would seek to honor and to glorify God through the unity of the church. And that's, I'm telling you, guys, like, in the church today, it's so unusual. How do most church plants begin? How do most church plants start in the USA? Church splits. That's how most church plants start. They are not, uh, it's not finding an area where, where the gospel needs to be going and, hey, we're going to go, we're going to intentionally raise up guys, we're going to intentionally uh, have people over projects, we're going to raise up, we're going to, uh, you know, try to build up those men and women in our church who can lead and to, to, to do those things? Nah. Most of the time, church plants happen because of disunity, because of splitting of the church. It's not intentional church planting. It's unintentional consequences of disunity. And I pray that our church would never come to that place where we would, we would be disunified but that we would rest in consensus and deference. And we would look to the person to our right and to our left. And you say, you know what? They are as important as I am in this conversation. And the last thing that we want to build is congregational trust. Congregational trust. Verse 32. I commend you to God and to word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. 
In all things, I have shown to you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, how he himself said, is more blessed to give than to receive. Hope and pray that you understand, if you're members here, through the life of this church, we have never sought to take your gold, or to take your apparel, or to take your money, and to use it unwisely. We've always sought to build the trust of the congregation that we would use the resources that you have entrusted to us with wisdom, with missional aspirations, to seek to build up the church as he talks about here, to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. You would see us striving to build a kingdom that is worthy of our calling. One that would bring glory and honor to God. That was what we're trying to do here as the elders of this church. I pray that through that you have trusted us. And I believe you have trusted us. There's also a reflection that you should trust one another. You're trusting that you're giving of your time and your talents and your treasures. And that you're controlling your, your tongue. And that you're listening to the teaching of the church. The five T's that we talk about in our membership class. That the church is doing that with each other. That you're building, not, not just the elders are building congregational trust, but you're trusting one another as a congregation to do these things. That you're calling each other out. That you're helping one another to live boldly for Christ. That we're striving always to multiply ourselves over just the growth of the church. We would seek to have consensus and deference and to and to have people, love people more than we love projects. That we would be visible in the community. And in so doing, this congregation would be built up. And it would be giving more than it would be receiving. You would be giving of your very lives. So even as you consider 70 resolutions that you would live life to the fullest. You would resolve to do that, that you would resolve to, to live life with no regrets. That you would do it all for the glory of God, who would send His Son into this world to live a life that you could never live, to die a death that you deserved. Christ came in he paid the debt that you should pay. He gave his life that you shall live. Praise be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Do you believe that good news this morning? And if you do, do you walk boldly in your faith? Do you seek the glory of God? Do you seek to build up the kingdom of God in, 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 in striving to help others? To give of your very lives for the building up of the kingdom. Questions you should ask yourself as you reflect on 2022 and as you look forward to 2023. Resolve. Resolve to be kingdom-minded people. Living not for your own glory, but for the glory of the one who paid the debt that you deserve. Praise Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just the example of Paul, the ministry that he 
exuded all through the book of Acts and building up all the churches that he was able to do on his three missionary journeys. All that we are able to glean